We're going to explore look at the sichas. Chelikabeis the sicha of Shmini regarding the blessings of Berchas Kenim. So let's pull up the verses and the Rashi upon which this is based. So the Torah tells us in the portion of Shmini, this is the eighth day. This is when the Shechina revealed itself. This is like the big day. Mishkan is up. The service of the priesthood begins. Um, the fire comes down. It's a big deal. But we see that in preparation for that, Aaron had to bring certain sacrifices. He was concerned the fire wouldn't come down partially because of the fact that he was responsible for the golden cap. Moshe told him, no, you're wonderful. It's because of you that it will come down. In fact, the first offering that he brought was a calf to atone for the golden calf. So Hashem is promising him atonement. Moshe is promising him it's going to be fine. He does it. And still it didn't come down. Moshe and Aaron prayed to Hashem and the Shekhinah finally came down, etc. It was a big day. They're waiting for the revelation. So in the middle of all of this, we have these two verses on the screen, verse 22 and verse 23. Verse 22, Aaron lifts up his hands and blesses the people and descended from offering, the sin offering, burnt offering, and peace offering. Verse 23, which we'll get back to later, Moshe and Aaron come and bless the people and the presence of Hashem appears himself to the people. Rashi on verse 22, where it says that Aaron lifted up his hands and blessed them, says Rashi, he blessed them, birchas kawanim, the priestly blessing, alluding to the first word of the three blessings of the priestly blessing. So the Rebbe asks two powerful questions, which apparently is also asked by some of the other commentaries on Rashi. In short, what's bothering Rashi? Why is there any need for any comment? The verse says that Aaron lifted his hands and he blessed them. Why do we have to guess that it's the Birchat Kwanim? Birchat Kwanim did not happen until the portion of Naso, which is much later. So why assume that this is it? Now we know that the Medrash says that this is what Aaron did, but Rashi only teaches us things that are necessary from the text on the level of shot on the literal level, things that the text itself compels. Why is the text compelling us that he gave them the blessing of Birchat Kwanim, which wasn't yet invented, or it's certainly not in the Torah at this point. It comes in the portion of Naso. You're going to tell me that there's no order in Torah, and sometimes Torah is out of chronological order? There's truth to that. However, when Torah is out of chronological order, Rashi makes a point to say it. It's not the given. It's not the norm. Normally, Torah is in order. So normally, we're not going to discuss the Birchas Konim, and to us, on the literal level, and the Pshat level, it hasn't yet been given as a commandment to Aaron until the portion of Naso. We are almost an entire Torah book prior to that. So why assume on the literal level that that's what Aaron did? Maybe he just blessed them. He said, God bless you. I don't know. He, he gave him a bracha. Why assume that that's what it is? And the second question, which is equally compelling and strange, is why does he tell us the first three words of the priest of the blessing? But every child knows the Berchaz Very strange Rashi. Seemingly superfluous and strange. Now, there are other commentaries who study Rashi. And they say, well, take a look at the next verse, verse 23. Ah, and here you start to have a clue as to what's bothering Rashi. In verse 22, it says that Aaron blessed the people. In verse 23, Moshe and Aaron blessed the people. Wait a minute. If Moshe and Aaron blessed the people, why do we need Aaron to bless the people? This is alluding and this is telling us quite clearly that Aaron did a separate blessing for Moshe and Aaron together. And it was a blessing related to priesthood. 
And therefore, it makes sense to say that it was the priestly blessing. Further, by saying, these three words, this is other commentaries on Rashi. This is not the Rebbe's interpretation of the Rashi. Other bona fide, serious commentaries on Rashi. But how do we know that it was that it was Berchus Kohanim? A, from the fact that Aaron blessed them in 22, when Moshe and Aaron blessed them in 23, so automatically seeing that there's something special about the blessing of Aaron alone, and it was Aaron-like in nature. Aha, what's Aaron-like in nature? Blessing of the Kohen. And why does it say, why does it give those three? To explain perhaps why Aaron gave that blessing. Because it relates to the second half of the verse, he descended from bringing the three offerings, sin offering, burnt offering, peace offering, and all three are alluded to in, in those three verses. Yivarechecha means may God bless you, Yishmerech, and guard you, which has an allusion also to guarding us from sin. That's a sin offering. Your God should shine his countenance upon you. That's an allusion as well, among other things, to the burnt offering, because the burnt offering is for minor sins, for sins in thought which represents the place of thought as the mind, the place of light, the place of where a person's light shines in the brain. And therefore, Ya'er is a perfect allusion to that offering. And Yisa, may God lift up his countenance to you and bring you peace, is a perfect allusion to the peace offerings. And therefore, the other commentaries are, are good by it. It makes sense that Rashi comments. There's a need for the comment because of the repetition of the blessing of Aaron versus Aaron and Moshe. It also makes sense that that blessing should be priestly in nature, plus Rashi gives us the three words, to explain perhaps why Aaron chose to give that blessing now. Because those three words allude to the three offerings or line up very nicely with the three offerings that he just brought. To be sure, this is classic commentary, including the Balaturim and others. But the Rebbe says it's all wonderful and good, but in terms of Rashi, on the literal shot level, this is still not yet satisfactory. And to my understanding, the Rebbe is accepting half of their commentary, but not the other half. Namely, yes, it makes sense that we are looking for some kind of Aaron-like blessing in verse 22. The text is compelling us to do that because we compare it to verse 23, when Aaron and Moshe jointly give a blessing. Got it. But why should we decide that that's the priestly blessing when the priestly blessing did not yet exist? This is a huge innovation. And if Rashi was referring to this, Rashi would have said that. Again, you're talking about a birchas konim, a blessing that we don't know about. It has not been commanded yet to Aaron for an entire Torah book. And you want to say that that's what Aaron gave? And why? Because of the fact that he's trying to line it up with the three offerings? Rashi should have given some kind of illusion. This is... Uh, this is very hint-like, which is not very much Rashi-like. For the commentary like the Balaturim, that fits perfect. Balaturim teaches us many hints. He teaches us numerical values, gematria, etc. But on a Rashi level, to say that this is what, what compelled Rashi, this allusion to the three types of offerings, to the three verses, it's very hint-like. It's not pshat-like. It's remes, a different area of a different level and style of Torah study. So it's not totally satisfactory. Says the Rebbe, the Rebbe answers it by looking at the context. And again, I think the Rebbe agrees with the commentaries, the other Rashi commentaries. And what's really bothering Rashi is the fact that there's a repetition, that there's a blessing from Aaron alone in verse 22, when there's going to be a blessing from Moshe and Aaron in a moment. So clearly there was a separate blessing and it's Aaron related. 
Yes. But the Rebbe says, let's look at the context of what's happening. What does it mean that Aaron blesses the people? And Aaron and Moshe bless the people. Why do they need a blessing? Like, why is this a blessing moment? So if we look at the blessing that what's going on here, we're trying to bring down the Shekhinah. They built the temple, they gave the donations, they built it all up, they did the offerings at the seven day of practice. And now we want the Shekhinah to come down. So the blessing that we're all looking for is exactly that, the Shekhinah. And in fact, if we look at the Rashi on verse 23, when Moshe and Aaron jointly gave the blessing, says Rashi, what was the blessing? The blessing was, may the sweetness of God come upon you. And may you, meaning, have the presence of the Shekhinah. And may God's blessing come upon the work of your hands, meaning to say that the building and everything that they did should result in its expectant and hoped for result, which is the temple's revelation of the Shekhinah. So that's what kind of blessings they're getting. That's what Moshe and Aaron are giving them in verse 23, which is what the verse says later. And then the presence of God, in fact, did appear. So the blessing was that the Shekhinah should come down so that the people should see the Shekhinah. And now they have a temple, they meaning the people. It's a blessing to all the people. For what? For the blessing of revelation of Shekhinah. Now and forever, the Shekhinah should always come down in the communal home of the Jewish people, namely the tabernacle, the Mishkan. However, before we come to 23, we have 22. Aaron had personal business to deal with vis-a-vis the same theme, namely, revelation of the Shekhinah. And that is, Aaron felt that he was an impediment to revelation of the Shekhinah. We're not yet ready for Moshe and Aaron to pray for the revelation to take place. We have to first remove an impediment, being that Aaron played a role in the golden calf, albeit against his will. But he was very humble, and, and he took blame for it as we see in the verses and in the Rashi before this point, immediately before this point. And Moshe tells him, you're going to bring a golden calf as an offering to atone for the golden calf, etc. And the Shekhinah doesn't come down. And Aaron tells Moshe, according to an earlier Rashi, that everything we did was for naught, and it's because of me that it didn't come down. So Aaron is very concerned about the Shekhinah being blocked before we're ready to start praying for the Shekhinah to come for the work of the people. Aaron first wants to do something to remove a possible impediment for his involvement in the golden calf, and now he's involved in the temple. He may be getting in the way of the thing, of progress. And therefore, Aaron gives birchas konim. The Rebbe says this birchas konim was not a commandment yet. That wasn't commanded through the whole book later in the book of Numbers. Aaron ad-libbed it. It's not in the commentary, in the footnote, you could see different ways. Either Aaron knew it prophetically, it wasn't yet commanded, or Aaron himself came up with it prophetically, much as we know the patriarchs and matriarchs, they knew somehow what mitzvahs to do, even before they were commanded, and then Hashem told them that mitzvah, sort of the, these prophets, these giants, they, they knew what to do, and then it aligned with what Hashem had wanted anyway, even though they weren't told. So it seems, says the Rebbe, this is such an instance. Aaron blessed them, Birchas Konim. It was not yet commanded. How did he know? He was Aaron. He ad-libbed it. The Rebbe brings in a, in a footnote that one of the Midrashim says that, in fact, after Aaron composed it, so to speak, it was so perfect, it was so Aaron-like, it was so filled with all the blessings needed, that God then said, great, we will employ it. We're going to embrace it and make it a mitzvah. And obviously, Hashem is the one planting these prophecies in his mind, however these things work. But the reality is, says the Rebbe, Aaron blessed them with Berchas Konim, but not as a mitzvah, Berchas Konim. That mitzvah was not given till later on the Pshat level. And there's no reason to read differently in the Pshat level. He didn't do this as a mitzvah, he did this as a prayer to bring the Shekhinah, specifically 
to remove his impediment from the Shekhinah. He wanted to make sure that his service of that day would not get in the way. And therefore, he wanted to do something to remove any blockage that his involvement may bring to the Shekhinah's revelation. Separate and apart from in verse 23, when Moshe and Aaron will now bless the people that they and all future generations should have the Shekhinah. It's a collective blessing, but this is a personal prayer for Aaron that his involvement in the Egel and the Golden Calf should be removed. The way I understand this is the difference between verse 22 and 23 is A, verse 22 is removing an impediment, namely the golden calf, a, a blotch, the golden calf stain from the Shekhinah. And verse 23 is actually bringing the positive, a negative versus positive. And another way is that in verse 22, it's about Aaron. And in verse 23, it's a blessing to the people. As the verse and as the Rashi clearly state, it's about their sacrifices and their service should, should, should have the, the, the hoped for effect of the Shekhinah. But in 22, it's about Aaron that his service should not get in the way and his service should bring down the Shekhinah now in spite of his involvement in the Golden Calf. And therefore, Aaron ad-libbed or prophetically knew the Berchaz caught him, or perhaps he was told, but he didn't do it as a mitzvah. And why did he choose that prayer, says the Rebbe? Rashi points out, because it has three stanzas, which are a good argument to Hashem, why the Hashem shouldn't hold back the Shekhinah from the Jews because of Aaron. means God will bless you. Indicating, this is about God. This is directly from God. Don't let me get in the way. He's saying to the people, he's saying to Hashem, don't let me get in the way. You bless them. The fact that I was involved in the golden cap, that should be inconsequential. Ya'er means, and therefore, shine your countenance bringing the Shekhinah. Do the Shekhinah. Ah, there's a golden calf and negativity. Yisa Hashem Parav. You should look up and lift up your eyes to them, which means to give them uh, beyond the letter of the law, to, to look at them favorably and see beyond it. And therefore, these three phrases perfectly make sense as a prayer to bring to the table at this time. But not that this is the priestly blessing as a mitzvah. He wasn't doing it as a commandment. He wasn't even yet commanded, perhaps. This is the priestly blessing being employed as the choicest blessing for that moment to accomplish what nine, verse 22 needs to accomplish. The Rebbe says, based on this, we understand another Rashi. There's another short Rashi in the same verse where it says, he descended, says Rashi, from the altar. Here too, all the commentaries on Rashi struggle. What does this Rashi contribute? He descended from the altar. It says it in the text. He descended from offering the sin offering, burnt offering, and peace offering. Obviously, they were made on the altar. They were on the altar. It says it in the prior verses. Some of the commentaries say that the purpose of this Rashi is to explain a problem. If Aaron is doing the mitzvah of Birchas Kornim, the place for that is not on the altar. The place for that is on the, by the door. There's different places for it. The altar is a place for the sacrifice. And if you read the verse, face value. It says that he blessed them and then he came down. It's a problem. And therefore, these other commentaries say that Rashi with this short entry is trying to say that uh, he came down from the altar, meaning he came down as soon as he finished the sacrifices. And this is supported by a medrash, which says that really the verse is supposed to be read backwards. He finished the offerings, he descended, and then he blessed the people. Because its place is not on the altar. But the Rebbe said that's all nice and good. This is not what it says in Rashi. And on a Rashi level, you got to take things for face value. He says what he means, means what he says. It doesn't say nowhere in Rashi's entry that he descended from the altar, that this means that he descended earlier from the altar. Rashi could have just easily had said he had descended earlier. 
Like, like what, what? How does this explain anything? So this Rashi is still problematic and seemingly superfluous. Says the Rebbe, no, Rashi says from the altar to mean exactly what he's saying. And that what the Medrash says and what these other commentaries want to borrow from the Medrash and somehow squeeze into the Rashi. The Rashi is trying to reverse the verse. But the second half happened before the first, that he first descended and then he blessed them. So we don't have the problem that he's giving the priestly blessing in its wrongful place. No. Rashi says, leave the verse as it is. It's pshat. Read it for face value. He blessed the people and then he descended from the altar. And that's why Rashi adds that entry. Because that supports Rashi's position that this is not a birchat konim as the mitzvah, as the special service, which we will be commanded shortly, maybe even that same day, to do constantly in the Beis Hamikdash every day, etc., etc. The mitzvah birchat konim, which has a different place, for which he would have descended the altar. No, this is not birchat konim. This is birchat konim yevarechacha yor yisa, meaning to say this is a special choice birchat konim, blessing them for the particular need of the moment that said earlier. But it's not the mitzvah birchat konim; it's just employing birchat konim for another purpose. Like when a kohen comes to uh, to your simcha and blesses your child, it's not birchat konim in the simple mitzvah sense like we do on yantam, or like they did in the beis hamikdash, or like they do in Jerusalem every day. It is um, it is employing that for something else. Or when you bless your child with the same language. So therefore, Rashi says from the altar to allude to the fact that no, Birchas Kohen here was done on the altar. Really? Birchas Kohen on the altar? The answer is this wasn't Birchas Kohen as a service, as a commanded service. This was Birchas Kohen ad-libbed as Aaron's way of bringing them to the next step of revelation of the Shekhinah. It's fantastic. You think about this and you watch the details, everything is airtight. Both entries are needed. They're needed exactly the way they are to allude to the fact that he said it, but he said it ad-libbed. There's no need to innovate that. There's no order in Torah in this case, that principle, ain that later could be earlier and vice versa. Rashi doesn't allude to the fact at all that Berchaz Konim was commanded already. No, it came in the book of, of Numbers. Berchaz Konim was ad-libbed. And why? Because of the three points of Arechacha Yorah has mentioned earlier, the things that help remove the impediment of Aaron which helps explain the repetition of verse 22 and 23. Aaron's blessing is different than that of Aaron and Moshe together. This is about removing his impediment, so to speak. And therefore it was done on the altar because it relates to the altar, relates to his service that he's trying to do in order to bring down the Shekhinah, even though it's not the place of Bechaz Konim, but we're not doing the service of Bechaz Konim. We're doing the service of the sacrifices, but we are using Bechaz Konim as a blessing to remove an impediment for the result of the Shekhinah coming down from the sacrifice, from through the work of the sacrifice. It's, it's fantastic. As I can say so myself, it just fits in very tight. There's some other things that I didn't cover, but uh, this is a good, good synopsis of the Sikha. What is the Rebbe's takeaway? Um, there's a little bit of a halachic discussion, but just to simplify it, the Rebbe is saying that Birchas Kainim has a time. You bless people if you live in diaspora, outside of Jerusalem, only on the holidays. In Jerusalem, every day, but only by day, not by night. It has limitations. Here we see that Aaron blessed the people not when it was a mitzvah. And it was in the wrong place because Birchaz Kohenim is valid in another context, in a context of just a blessing. 
separate and apart from the formal mitzvah of Birchas Konim. And therefore, it can be employed at night. It can be employed in a time when it's not a mitzvah. Even though the mitzvah, Birchas Konim, when the Konim make the bracha, Asher Kedishanu, with mitzvah, Bitkudoshas Hashel Aaron, is only on a certain time, and Yantif. And only by daytime, or if in Jerusalem, you can do it every day, but not at night. But if you meet someone in the middle of the night, and you're a Kohen, you want to bless them, it doesn't make sense to say the bracha. You don't have a mitzvah now. But the bracha still has the power. The, the birchas konim has the power. And birchas konim is one of those mitzvahs that can be done in its formal, commanded way. And it can also be utilized and employed in its non-formal fashion when needed, which is very innovative and different. And we see that birchas konim is used, as mentioned earlier, by konim in all kinds of settings and by parents blessing their children, uh, those who bless on Erev Yom Kippur or those who bless every Friday um, before Shabbos. Um, this is not Kohenim, but the, the, the power of these blessings are real, and the power of these blessings are such that they exist in two forms, in the formal form of the mitzvah, when and if commanded, and then in the informal form, where that can be done at any time and place, day and night, and they're still valid. And therefore, the Rebbe applies this and says that by Aaron now bringing the Shekhinah back down, those of us familiar with Basi Lagani, that Hashem the Medrash says that the seven generations of Shekhinah left, right? By, by Adam Arishan, originally it was Shekhinah was here. And then it went, by the seven sins, it went up. And then it broke down Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, all the way to Moshe. They brought it back down. And when is it being brought down finally? When is it touching down on earth? Right here. And how? A big part of that was this prayer of Aaron to remove the impediment, to give them the Berichas Konim. So we see the Berichas Konim albeit not done as a commandment, but done as a, a blessing, let's call it a voluntary blessing, it, it did the job. It did the job. It brought the Shekhinah. And since then, the Shekhinah is down here with all of the tzaras and all of the destructions, but apparently the Shekhinah, by and large, is still down here. And therefore, that tells us that throughout the whole night, we can bless people. Poetically, the Rebbe says, throughout the whole exile, which is like night, we can bless people. We are blessed, and we have the power of Aaron. That the Shekhinah is with us, because this is the blessing that brought about the Shekhinah coming back down with us. And therefore, there's this blessing is always available. The presence of Hashem is always available in daytime and nighttime in Israel and diaspora, in good times and not good times. I guess we can apply this also in the in, in the micro. That each of us we have our days and our nights are challenging times and better times. And uh, we feel sometimes we don't have the birchas konim, the proverbial blessing. We don't have the shekhinah. We feel there's some kind of blockage. And we have to wait for some big important day to help remove, I'm giving a little bit of poetic license here, but I think this is part of the message. We have to wait for some big day to help remove and schlep us out and elevate us and, and remove any negativity. Says that I know birchas konim is a constant. Even if it's nighttime. Even if it's proverbial nighttime, you're in Gullah, even proverbial nighttime, perhaps on a personal level. The person has fallen to a lower level and he's lost his footing. So what? Birchas Konim is there. It doesn't have conditions. It can be done in the wrong place, in the wrong time. It hasn't yet commanded. It, it, its power is there and it's potent. And it helps bring Hashem to a Yid.